Well, today we begin our journey through the book of Colossians together as a church family, where verse by verse over the next 10 weeks, we are going to discover this amazing ancient letter that is tucked away in our New Testament Bibles. And uh, in fact, I would encourage you to grab your copy of God's word, whether physical or digital, go ahead and turn to Colossians 1. That is where we are going to be today. Grab the Northridge Church app. You can find the sermon notes to follow along there. And today we got a lot of ground to cover. My hope today is that we are able to discover kind of the setting and the backdrop of the book of Colossians. We're gonna learn the theme of it. Why why is this letter written? And we're also gonna cover the first 14 verses of chapter one. So we got a lot to get to. Let's jump right into it. I wanna start with just a little bit of the setting and the background of of Colossians. We know as we're gonna see in in, uh, verse one that the apostle Paul is the author of Colossians. We know that Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament and he wrote this letter. In fact, This is one of the shortest letters. It is the shortest letter that Paul wrote, but yet it's one of the most powerful letters I think that that he wrote. And so let's get a little bit of an understanding too of where Colossae is located. We got a map of first century Asia Minor here on the the screen. This is kind of cool. I've always wanted to know what it would feel like to be a meteorologist or like Scott Edsko, Hetsko. So this is pretty cool, right? We we see Colossae that's kind of up here. Um, On this side of the map, you'll also notice that Ephesus is located about 100 miles to the west of Colossae. Um, We also know that Paul is writing to a church in Colossae. What's interesting, though, is Paul has never been to Colossae and from what we know would never go to Colossae. What we're going to find out is actually that the church was started by a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras is from Colossae. And Epaphras actually spent some time over in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he heard Paul proclaim and teach the gospel. And he heard Paul teach and Epaphras ended up converting to faith in Jesus Christ through Paul's teaching. So Epaphras then comes back, he brings it back to his town and to Colossae and he starts to share the gospel. And slowly but surely, a small little church begins to start in the town of Colossae. Now, one of the things that you need to know about Colossae is like Colossae is kind of like, it's it's like it's declining at this point in time. It's declining in its cultural influence, its political influence. You can kind of see it's kind of off by itself. It's not near a body of water, whether the sea or whether a river, there's no trade routes that are going by it. So it's kind of waning in its influence. And uh, so why would Paul be writing this letter to Colossae? In fact, if you look at Ephesus, Ephesus is just, you know, 100 miles to the east. In fact, Ephesus is one of the most excavated towns um, when it comes to ancient cities. In fact, here's a picture of what Ephesus looks like today. It's beautiful. You can see the columns that are there. You can see the arches that are there. It's this, this beautiful city. Here's what Colossae looks like today. What does Colossae look like today? That's what we got. You got a hill. You got a, a, a mound there with, uh, I guess, a few, a few ruins that are, are there. There's not much to speak of. And so why in the world would the Apostle Paul write to kind of a nothing town that's out of the way with just a small little church that is there? Well, what we know um, happened several years into when this church started, we know that there was a challenge. There was a problem that the Colossian church um, encountered. And we're not exactly sure what that challenge or problem was, 
but there's consensus among scholars that there was some sort of additional teaching that started to creep into the church. So it was Jesus and the gospel, but then it was also some Gnosticism that was in the area. A lot of Jews had migrated and kind of taken up residence in this part of Asia Minor. And so there's the belief that some of that Jewish tradition and some of the Jewish tradition, uh, mysticism was also kind of mixed in with the gospel. We're not exactly sure, but there was this problem. And what we also know is that Epaphras finds out that the apostle Paul is being imprisoned in Rome. And so Epaphras decides, I'm going to go visit Paul in Rome. And so he does that. In fact, he ends up spending some time in prison with Paul. And while he's there, he shares this news of what is happening in Colossae. And so Paul responds. And Paul writes back, he writes this letter to the Colossians. And if there was a theme or a purpose of what Paul is trying to help the Colossians see and understand, um, I would put it this way, that it's this, that Christ is the fullness of God and we are to be filled up in him. And Paul is gonna come back to this over and over again in this short book together. He's gonna help the Colossians and help us through them to remember that Christ is everything. And in Christ, we have the fullness of God and we're to be filled up in him. So there's this tendency to add things on or to look to other things or to other people. But he's saying, no, look, we gotta keep our focus on Christ. Christ is the fullness of God and we're to be filled up in him. And I, you know, I think of what it must have been like for the Colossians to learn that the apostle Paul wrote a letter to them. I imagine that they must have been like, wait, hold on, the apostle Paul has heard about us? The apostle Paul knows about us and he's, he's writing to us. Paul, what does Paul have to say to us? This little church in Colossae. You see at this time, churches in this area, it would have been small churches that probably met in homes and they would gather together. They would pray together. They would sing some songs together and then they would probably read some letters or hear letters read to them that are what we now know as the Bible. See, the Bible had not been formed at this time. So they would have had probably letters or teachings of Jesus that they would read or listen to. So for them to hear and to realize like, wait, wait, the apostle Paul, he has something to say to us. And I think it's with that same heart, that same perspective that we should be leaning into this study, this letter to the Colossians is like, man, what is it that God has to say even to us through the Colossians? So let's jump into it. We're gonna cover verse one all the way through verse 14 today. And as we go, I'm gonna make some observations and just try to pull out some truths that I believe Paul wants us to see and understand. We'll start in verse one. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our father. Now, if you're familiar with some of Paul's other letters and writings, you'll know that this kind of looks and sounds familiar. This is kind of Paul's standard greeting and it'd be easy to kind of rush right through this, but there are some really important things here that I think Paul wants us to understand in his greeting to the Colossians. First, we see that Paul says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what that means is that Paul sees his whole life as given by the will of God of God. His identity, his authority, his purpose in life is given by the will of God. Because the reality is no one saw Saul of Tarsus, because before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. No one saw Saul becoming Paul, because Saul was all about persecuting the Christians and persecuting the church and stamping out the message of the gospel. And now here he is, an apostle, 
by the will of, of God. You see, Paul sees his identity and his purpose that he exists by the will of God. Now for you and I, we're not apostles, but your life, where you live, your career, your friendships, your influence is by the will of God. And oftentimes we kind of view our lives as like, well, man, I kind of, I live where I live because of the school systems are great. Or I live where I live because of proximity to my family or to friends or, or, or to my, my job. How often though do we think of our, our lives as like, man, I am here because this is because of God's sovereign will and he's placed me here to make a difference and an impact for him. He also says that, so he's an apostle by the will of God, but he also says to God's holy people. Some other translations will say to the saints in Colossae. Did you ever realize that? That if you're in Christ, you've made a decision to follow Jesus, that you're a saint, you're, you're God's holy people. Now, we don't often think of ourselves as saints, right? Because we're like, aren't the saints like the super Christians, like the uber spiritual people? But no, you're a saint. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. And then Paul says at Colossae, so you're in Christ, you're part of God's holy people, um, in Christ at Colossae. Now, why is that important? So he's saying your identity is in Christ, but your location, he's saying, is the city of Colossae. So if we were to put that nowadays or in my context, it would be why I'm, I'm Nate Miller, I'm in Christ, and I am in Webster, New York. In other words, our identity should inform our geography, is what Paul is saying. And it's not the other way around. And this is important because where you live has no impact on your identity in Christ. But your identity in Christ should have an impact on where you live. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is who you are. You're saints, you're God's holy people in Christ and you happen to live here in Colossae. And so that, that should impact Colossae. That should impact your town and your, your community and the people you interact with. So this is Paul, Paul's greeting, but next we see him now. He begins to give thanks for the Colossians. Look at what he says in verse three. He says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel, it's bearing fruit. It's growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also has told us of your love in the spirit. So Paul says here, he says, look, we praise God for you. He says, look, we've heard about you, Colossian church. And what is it that Paul has heard? Well, he's heard about their love for one another. You know, I think about that and I, I wonder what would Paul have to say if he was gonna write a letter to Northridge Church, what would Paul have heard about Northridge Church? What great thing would Paul have to say about our church? Would he be able to say, look, I've heard about the, the great love that you have for one another. It's evident, it's clear. Paul said he's heard about their love for one another and, and notice he says it's because, it's because of the hope laid up for them in heaven that they are loving one another well. Paul's saying, look, our future hope informs our present reality. And the Colossians had their mind on their future hope. They were thinking about the inheritance that they had with Christ. And that was informing their, their lives. It was informing the love that they displayed to one another. 
So our, our hope in Christ, it informs our present reality. It informs or should inform our everyday lives. Notice what he also says in verse six. He says, it's come to you in the same way the gospel, it's bearing fruit, it's growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing in you since the day you heard it from Epaphras. Notice the words there of heard, understood, learned. What does that tell us about the gospel? Well, it tells us that the gospel is to be spoken. The gospel is to be proclaimed. It's to be preached. In fact, anyone, anyone ever hear this phrase before? The phrase goes like this. It's preach the gospel in all you do, and if necessary, use words. Any of you familiar with that, or have you heard that phrase before? Well, the, one of the problems with that statement is that words are necessary to preach the gospel that there will come a point where our service and our love towards others, which is so important and vital and crucial, will need to be explained because you really can't preach the gospel without words. Uh, the gospel is, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is that Jesus Christ gave his life for you on a cross where you deserve to die and he died in your place to free you from your sin debt and to free you and to liberate you from the power of sin. And then he rose again, assuring you of your salvation. Now, how are you going to say all of that non-verbally? Well, you can't. You can't. That, that's God's plan of salvation for the world. Now, of course, we believe that the implications of that choice and of that decision impacts our lives, every area of our life that there should be gospel fruit, that our service, our integrity, our sacrifice, our generosity would demonstrate gospel fruit in our lives. But Paul's saying, look, you heard the gospel. The gospel was preached to you. He says, you heard it from Epaphras. So you learned it from him. He taught you, he shared it with you. And Epaphras heard it from me, the apostle Paul. And Paul got it from somewhere else. So the, the gospel, it's something that's been given to us. We hear it, it goes into our minds. And then we respond to it and it comes into our heart and it changes us and we grow in it. Notice Paul also says, it's the nature of the gospel to grow. He says it's increasing, it's bearing fruit in the whole world and in you. He's teaching us that the gospel impacts the world around us, that as we share the gospel, as we preach the gospel, it impacts the world around us. It grows, that's what it does. It's not our job to make it grow. Only God can do that. But it's our job to tell the message of the gospel, to proclaim it and to live it out and to preach it. And the gospel grows, it produces something is what Paul's point is here. I love what John Stott says about this in his book, The Cross of Christ. He says this, wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed, we see lives change for the good. Nations change for the better. Thieves become honest. Addicts become sober. Broken marriages restored. Selfish people become selfless and generous. Hateful individuals become channels of love. Unjust and corrupt persons embrace justice. Yet all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands all together. You see John Stott here, he's, he's really echoing the words of the Apostle Paul. 
that the gospel, it changes things. It changes things here within our church, but it also changes things out there as it's been proclaimed. So don't lose your grip on it, Colossians. Don't look to anything else. You already have the fullness of God in Christ. You don't need anything else. Keep your focus there. That is our message. It's our only message. As a church today, that is our only message. We have no other message than the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, I have no other message than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that, you know, we learned over the last three or four years, you know, as we think back and look at uh, the global pandemic of COVID, which man, aren't we thankful that that is in the rear view mirror? And I know for many of us, it's like, we're tired of even talking about it. But I think one of the things that we learned, especially as a leadership team here, when we were in the midst of COVID, and I remember thinking back and just painfully being asked the questions over and over again of people of like, what's your opinion um, about masks? And, and what, what's, our, what's our take when it comes to vaccines? And what's your opinion about lockdowns? And what do you think about social distancing? And I remember getting all of these questions and thinking like, man, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know the answers to these questions, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a social scientist. I, I don't know. And in the midst of all of that and those questions, I remember as a team, we just kept coming back to, well, what is it that we do know? And it's this, we know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as it was, it was if God was saying, like, all we really have is him. That's what we have to offer. We're not an expert on all of these other things, but we do know who Jesus is. And we know what he's done for us and we know what he means in our lives. And this is what Paul is saying to this little church in Colossae. He's saying, look, stay focused on what matters most. You have everything you need in Christ. He's our mission. He is our message. He's our whole life. And then look at what he says in verse nine. This is Paul's, Paul's prayer of how he prays for the Colossians. I love this part. Wouldn't you want someone in your life praying for you the way that Paul prays for the Colossians. Look at what he says, verse nine. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Man, I wanna pray like the apostle Paul prays. Here's what he's saying here. Notice these phrases and these words in this prayer. He's saying you've been filled with spiritual understanding so that you're able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened as well. Look at all these action words or phrases that are here. And what is the gospel doing when Paul prays for them? Well, the gospel changes what's inside of us. Not only does it change and impact the world around us, but it changes us. It changes what's on the inside of us. It grows in us. It, it should increase within us. It should, it should fill us. Notice how he prays. In fact, I was thinking about this in my own prayer life. And I don't know about you or, or as to what your prayer life looks like, but how do you pray for the people in your life that are experiencing a challenge? Maybe it's someone in your life who, who recently lost their job. And I think it's so easy for us to pray for provision for the job. Like, God, would you provide an opening? Would you provide a new job for my, my friend? But how many of us are also praying that our friend would lean into the provision and the power and the strength 
of the gospel in our friend, even in the midst of their time waiting for the job, that Christ would be known in a deeper way, that the gospel would fill them up and grow within them. In fact, what's the greater need? To get a job or to sense and grow in their understanding of what the gospel is producing in their life? You have someone in your life, a friend or a family member that gets a a tough diagnosis. Man, we should pray for their healing. We should absolutely do that. We should plead to God on their behalf for, for healing, but we should also be praying though too that in their, their suffering that Christ would be glorified, that his peace and his comfort would minister to them in this struggle, that the people who attend to them, who come alongside and serve and help them and take care of them, the people who visit them would, would sense and see evidence of the gospel at work in their lives even as, as they suffer. Paul is not just praying for circumstances here. Paul is praying deep, gospel-informed prayers. Look at how Paul ends his prayer for the Colossians. In verse 12, he says this, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, there's so much packed into these few verses here, but there's really two words that I wanna make sure that you catch. In fact, I'd encourage you to highlight them, underline them, circle them, and they are these two words of qualified and rescued. Qualified and rescued, underline those. And so crucial to what Paul is saying here, saying, look, the way that we're able to live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing him, The way that we're able to have joy and endurance and patience is because we are grateful for two things. And the first thing is this, that God has qualified you. God has qualified you. On your own, you are not qualified. On my own, I am certainly not qualified. I didn't earn it. We didn't earn God's grace. God gave it to us as a gift of his grace through Christ. He called us into his family by his grace. None of us are qualified. In fact, that's the whole point. He redeems you and me. He is the one who blesses us and forgives us and restores us through what Christ has done for us. And then he moves on and he talks about how we've been transferred. We've been been rescued from one kingdom and placed into another kingdom. He's transferred us. He tells us that God has rescued you from darkness and he has brought you into the light. So he's taken you from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and he's placed you in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son, the son that he loves. And he's reminding us, man, don't stay trapped into the old ways of thinking, the the darkness. And so many of us, we can stay trapped in, in the old decisions and poor choices that we've made, the old baggage that weighs us down, the shame, the guilt, the wounds of our past. But he's saying, look, the gospel has cut us free from that. We no longer carry that weight. He's delivered us from that. And in these first 14 verses, Paul is bringing the Colossians' attention. He's bringing our focus and he's squarely putting it on Jesus Christ that he's qualified us, he has rescued us. There is no one else. We shouldn't look to anyone else. He is it. One time I remember at one of my son's baseball games, getting to know one of the, uh, one of the other parents who their kid also plays on the same team. And one of the things about baseball is like, baseball is long. Um, the games are long and the season is long. So it's inevitable that you get to know the other families that 
are a part of the team, which is actually a great thing. It's really cool and wonderful. And I remember that we had kind of built a relationship and we had gotten to know one another and it finally got to the point where he actually began to realize like that I'm a pastor. And it's always interesting when that comes up and people realize that I'm a pastor and it's like all of a sudden like they stand up a little bit straighter as if like having better posture is, I don't know, somehow, somehow better. But, um, but anyways, he learned that I'm a pastor and he said the statement, he was like, oh man, I, I, should, I should come check out your church. I should come visit. And I was like, yes, man, that would be great. We would love to have you. And then he said this statement, he's, he said, yeah, yeah, I could use a little Jesus in my life. You know, I didn't say anything to that. And I just said, yeah, man, it, it'd be great to have you. And as I thought about that though, internally and processed that, I was like, man, well, well Jesus, Jesus certainly wants to be a part of his life, but at the same time, Jesus isn't about just little. <laughs> He's not little at all. That's not how it works. It, in fact, Jesus wants everything. He wants our, our whole lives. There's no such thing as a little Jesus in our life. And for so many of us, that can be our view when it comes to Jesus of like, Jesus is kind of like my, my, my fitness coach or my spiritual coach, right? And I'm, I'm pursuing life and I'm going in my direction. And if something happens or something breaks, well, then I go over here and like, Jesus, I need your help. Can you fix this, this for me? And I think what Paul is telling the Colossians and what he is telling us today, like, look, it's not how it works. Jesus is either coming in to take over or he's not coming in at all. And the question for us is, has Jesus taken over your life? Has he taken over your life? Or is there an area of your life that you're holding on to and that you aren't giving over to him? You see, our lives are not supposed to be half full of Jesus. They're to be completely full in him. And as Paul starts this journey through the book of Colossians, again, he's grabbing our attention and he's focusing it on Christ to help us see that, man, Christ is everything. He is the fullness of God and we are to be completely filled up in him. And as we continue through this journey, he's gonna continue to help us see what that means and what that looks like for our, our lives. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this ancient letter that was written thousands of years ago, Lord, but yet it is still so impactful and relevant to our lives today. God, I pray for us today that we truly would have the desire, Lord, to give our lives to you every area, Lord, that our lives would truly be filled with you, that you would be our greatest treasure, Lord, and that as a result, like our, our lives would be overflowing with you and the hope and the grace and purpose that can be found in you. God, I pray as we continue through this journey of the book of Colossians, God, that you would challenge us, help us see the things that we need to see and to be able to understand and change the things in our lives, God, that you desire for us to change so that we can look more like you. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.